You're listening to Dynamo's Dust. Now let's welcome your host, Ian Dynamo Kelly. Welcome once again to Dynamo's Dozen, the podcast that I bring you each and every single week where I talk about whatever may be on my mind from pro wrestling, sports, entertainment, music, movies, muesli, fresh socks and jocks and everything in between. And I am your host, Ian the Dynamo Kelly. And once again, it is time. It is that time of the year where we do our, uh, I suppose, our quarterly catch up with the, the great Finley Martin. How are you, Finley? I'm doing all right. I can't complain. We're in tier three restrictions here in Lancaster in the UK, which means the pubs are shut, but the shops have reopened. They reopened oh. yesterday. So, you're so we, have a, yeah. we have a little bit more freedom than we did two days ago. So uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. How, how is yourself? How are you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm actually very well. I had coronavirus about a week ago. Oh, really? How was that? A week and a half ago. I had it for two weeks. Uh, well, I was kind of touch wood. I was okay. I didn't really, I didn't really have too, um, my, my symptoms weren't too extreme. So just a little, I suppose. It was like, it was like a, a bit of a flu, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, that's probably my, my I suppose, my, uh, my young body. I'm going to say young body. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm glad, you know, I mean, I know, I, I don't know many people who've, have, who've had it, to be honest with you, and they, yeah. like, kind of report the loss of taste, the loss of the sense That's, of smell. I had that, yeah, I definitely yeah. had elements of loss of taste. Uh, I suppose the hardest part was, I mean, the first kind of couple of days, I had to, you know, obviously I had to cocoon for two weeks, even from the rest of the people in the house, so couldn't really be around my partner or mother or anything like that, so um, that was... Uh, you know, for the first few days, it's like, you know what? This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get to just sit and binge and watch whatever the hell I want. Um, but then there's, no, there's no negotiation, is there, on what you're watching? No, it's just like I can watch. I, I actually, right, this is a funny one. I watched all of the Friday the 13th from start to finish. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, I'm a big horror fan. I've told you this. I watched all of them and I was like, oh, I love this stuff. And then I got Amazon Prime and I watched The X-Files from the beginning. And, wow. Uh, what a show. But I only I only got to the second season on that one. That's a lot of shows. Like, It's like hour-long episodes and there's like 30 a season, you know? <laughs> wow, so yeah. I didn't get too far with that. But yeah, the, the week two was pretty difficult then because you start kind of missing interacting with people and you know, there's only so much stuff you can watch and, you know, start getting kind of a lot of the, the back pains and stuff because I was sleeping out in the in the man cave and it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a nice couch, but there's only so much sleeping on a couch you can do, you know? Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm healthy. I just thought I'd share my Corona tale with, with some of the people out there because there is a lot of people actually, like you say, that don't know anybody that's had it or anything. And I was kind of in the yeah. same boat. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you got to feel for all the people who, who really had it bad, and obviously all oh, yeah. people sadly died and their families. Uh, but I mean, the people I know who've had it, um, it, they didn't have it that bad. But they were all fairly young people, so um, yeah. you know that that's fairly you know common uh, for people who are who are young usually are not uh, afflicted by it too severely. Obviously, older people with uh, underlying conditions, as we know. So I'm glad you're fighting fit again. Thank you, sir. And I'm glad to have you on the podcast again. So obviously, we've, um, we're, we're, we're coming up to the, uh, to the Santa month, the Santa period. Um, so we thought we'd give people a little bit of a, uh, a gift from Mr. Finley Martin today. And we're going to talk about something a little bit different. A lot of times we review different shows and stuff that's happened. I suppose we will touch on some of the key points over the last uh, over the last couple of months, I suppose, or last couple of weeks, because wrestling just changes and things get you know buried on a daily basis. So, uh, but uh, one of the big stories, I suppose. Um, oh, oh, before I get ahead of myself, what we're going to do as our kind of main treat that uh, that I was saying. Finley, we're actually going to pick some of our favorite, our favorite WrestleMania matches. We are. Um, we've picked a couple, um, because a lot of times, you know, people hear from Finley review and stuff and whatnot, but to get a nice personal, um, personal taste of his his personal collection and what he likes is going to be going to be a bit of fun. So we'll do a bit of a dive into that. But I suppose, um, and we even went through them before we went on the air, so there was no overlap. Exactly. Exactly. That's the level of professionalism we bring to this podcast. You see that? You see that? <laughs> My Lancashire brother is teaching me all the time. <laughs> um, it's uh, No, it's actually funny. Someone said that to me the other day, actually. They were like, isn't it crazy? Because I was mentioning to you off air, I found all my Power Slam magazines, and that was kind of my go-to magazine. Um, you know, especially... I, I think I mentioned to you before, my first magazine was the the Bret Hart one, the, the screw job. Oh, right. Is she 41? Yeah. That's the one. I found that in my local shop. And believe it or not, here's a funny little story. The shop that supplied um, Power Slam was called the Nutmeg in Bray County, Wicklow, home, of course, of Finn Balor and Katie Taylor, the boxer. They only used to get two in, two or three. Uh, initially, they'd have a couple. But obviously, right. no, there wasn't, not everyone was buying it. But what happened was, uh, later on into my collecting of Power Slam, they only had like two or three in there. Right. And it was for me and another guy. And I was like, I'd love to find who this other guy is. Who is it? Come to find years later, that other guy was none other than Prince Devitt. <laughs> I did know that. <laughs> you did know that, did you? I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was, he was, um... yeah. He was he he was a, a fan of the magazine and uh, oh, yeah. even after he made it in New Japan and uh, he always made I think I interviewed him I think it was four times for Power yeah. Slam he always had a lot of time for the magazine you know he so always he told, made you, he told you that shop story did he did he tell you that well he well he didn't actually tell me that shop story but I'm not surprised because I know that that's where he that's where he was from yeah. and he always bought the magazine so yeah. it does not i didn't actually know the story but it does not surprise me that he was the other person yeah it was crazy and then when i was eight no i want to say 17 when we were doing little backyard stuff that's when i actually finally met himself and then uh, he began to train me in his uh in his shed and out mr paul tracy's back garden so it okay. was uh 
Powerslam brought us together, you could say, if you want to take credit for that one. Uh, wow, that's what this magazine <laughs> did, you know. If you want to take that one, I'll give it to you. No, <laughs> but um, no, it was funny. Someone said to me, though, Jesus, you were reading all these magazines. And like I say, that was my, my favorite magazine. They're like, is it weird sometimes now that you're, you're friends with Findlay and he comes on your show? And I was like, do you know what? It kind of is, but in a good way, you know? So we... Uh, I appreciate you very much, Finley, for taking the time. Listen, I'm just a spoke on the wheel now. You know, yeah. I've had my time running the show, and now <laughs> other people, including yourself, Ian, you tell me what to do. Hey, hey. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what we will do. Once this bloody uh, corona thing is over, we will be definitely getting a point. That's what's going to happen, um, for sure. Definitely. I think I've only been to Ireland once. I went in, I think I told you, I came in 2014. Actually, I probably never told you this. I went to Cork for a wedding oh, um, and we kind of had plans. We were going to go up to Dublin and I was still doing the magazine at the time. So I was doing the long hours. I could only take a few days off, just two, two days off. So, to friends wedding. so that's the only time I've been. Oh, Cork is the only part of, uh, of Ireland I've been to. But yeah, I would love to come over there again. We're going to have to get you over, and plus, I'll definitely be visiting Lancashire at some point as well, so it'll be a, it'll be a double job, I suppose. Okay. Until we get sick of each other. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that won't happen. It's all love here, but let's start off, um, Finley, because we talked about this off air. Uh, the big news from this week is the return of one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite gimmicks, one of my favorite characters in wrestling. Uh, the Stinger, he's back, and he is all elite. All elite, yeah, sure. I have. I must confess, I have not watched last night's Dynamite yet. Me um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was uh, actually recording a review of Rebellion 2000 this morning for Inside the Ropes. Yeah, sure. uh, Inside the Ropes. Actually, we always have to plug them when they're when they're uh, lending us their amazing talent. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite an experience revisiting that show. I'd completely forgotten all about it. Uh, and not surprising, having watched it again, I can understand why I didn't really remember any of it because it was not that memorable. It was a fun show to review. So I haven't watched last night's Dynamite yet, but I am aware that Sting made an appearance. He's apparently signed a multi-year deal. Um, and also the other big story on the show was Don Callis made another appearance. He was there providing commentary, wasn't he, at the yeah. all, sorry, full gear event for yeah the he event. was on the match with the first match was it with kenny kenny and uh, sorry he was he was he was commentating on the kenny omega and uh hangman page hangman wasn't it? page match. that's right yeah full gear so yeah don Callis made an appearance there and i was thinking oh, this, this can't be just a one-off so they yeah. finally revealed now that they're going to be doing some type of inter-promotional series or there's going to be a cooperation so, I mean, that was a huge reveal. And I think that's big news for Impact Wrestling, bigger for Impact than it is for AEW. Yeah. Uh, but I think it will be beneficial to both companies. But going back to the original point, Sting, yeah, one of my favorites back in the day. Yeah. Um, he made an appearance and um, didn't say anything from what I understand. Which is good, which is good. I mean, that, whoever decided that deserves a pat on the back. That's, that's pro wrestling. That's intrigue, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, surprised. and also, uh, promos were never really Sting's strong suit, if, if I'm honest. No, 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 no. He, he's much better at, you know, coming from the rafters and, you know, when he was Beach Boy Sting, you know, some of those 
promos, yeah, like, I mean, there was a lot of excitement in them, and there was lots of woo and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, yeah, it was never a strong point. I think the dark side of Sting is, is the best um, side of Sting, you know. He just needs to show up with that bat and uh, intimidate people. I think that's the best version. You probably agree. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do there. I mean, I can't imagine that he's going to wrestle. I just, I think he has said that he possibly could. But I mean, he's, what is he, 61 now, I believe he is, coming up 62. I mean, he's, even before his WWE run in 15, which I'm sure he was handsomely compensated for, Sting was not short of money. Uh, he's got numerous real estate investments. You know, he's independently wealthy. He's probably just doing this to, you know, lend them a hand, um, probably because he likes some of the people who work there. Probably the pays none too shabby either. And it's imagine. just one. Day, it's just like one day a week for him. So um, you know, he's in a really good position in life. And uh, let's face it, he wouldn't be doing this if he didn't want to. I think yeah. I think we can safely say that. I'm not quite sure what he is going to do, but hopefully, hopefully he's a guy that won't be overexposed. We won't use him too much. And I think when he's more of a mysterious character, he's more valuable than somebody um, who you know overstays his welcome and makes too many appearances. I think he's going to be you know less is more with Sting. Certainly at this point in his life and his career. Yeah, I think in the modern era of. of wrestling and especially independent wrestling and uh all elite wrestling less <laughs> is more could be something that they really kind of try and cling on to yeah, yeah they could do with adopting that one couldn't they yeah they so really it comes could. to laying out the matches <laughs> yeah i mean there's been some good stuff there you know in recent weeks i mean look i actually kind of i enjoy hangman page i'm a, I'm a fan i told you that before i think he's got a lot of potential i think his ceiling is actually very high um He's got a look of the old kind of 80s workers. He's got, a, got that modern Magnum TA kind of look about him. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, handled in the right way, he can be, he can be a huge star. Um, and I think the match he had with Kenny Omega, there was a lot of, you know, I just, it was a good match. I just like, just someone grab a hold, you know, grab a hold. I mean, yeah. look at, like, look at Finn Balor's recent work. Not to, you know, I'm always biased because, a, it's a buddy, and B, it's a trainer, and C, you know, he's he's one of our guys. But and he and he used to buy Power Slam, and he used to buy Power Slam. So you're on board. You're you're all in. <laughs> so uh, no, I mean, you know, you look at the the recent matches that he's had down in NXT. You look at um, the matches that Walter has had and stuff like that. There, it's old school pro wrestling mixed up with some of the modern styles. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the, there's rest holes in there, but they mean something. You know, it's building suspense. So I think the art of pro wrestling is not um, is not dead. And I'm sure I can probably make an announcement on your behalf. You've got a big, obviously, interview coming up uh, that you can obviously plug um, for the magazine as well. And you know, Mister, you know, if you don't mind me mentioning them, I might. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. go, you give, you give the plug. You know who it is. Yeah. You, you know so, who it's with. Yeah, so I mean, you've got one of my guys on, uh, Mr. James E. Cornett, um, which is a huge, uh, a huge coup for you guys, and I congratulate you on that. That that's awesome. Um, you got a six-page interview, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, an issue four. Yeah, it's it's. Awesome. Um, we ended up speaking for about two hours and ten minutes. Oh, nice. nice. So, uh, 
So the first part of the interview is really, uh, we're talking a lot about the, the independent contractor classification that's been in the news recently with Andrew Yang's comments. Yes. So we spoke a lot about that and whether or not WWE should classify its talent as employees rather than independent contractors. So there's a lot of discourse about that. We talked about the potential of a union in wrestling. Could that succeed? Could that be formed? Could that be recognized? Um, and then we got talking about wrestling today, WWE and AEW. Yeah. So there's a lot in there. Um, and then the second part of, it, of the interview, which will be published in issue five of Inside the Ropes magazine, um, that's kind of like a completely different interview where we're talking about his time in Jim Crockett Promotions. I asked him about uh, Crockett Promotions' first ever pay-per-view, Starcade 1987, um, and whether, you know, what the feeling and what the mood was in Crockett Promotions about doing pay-per-view, going into that uh, medium. We talked about him going to WWF in 1993. Uh, we talked about um, <laughs> Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, we talked about, um, actually, we talked about the gangsters and Prince Carice. We were like, to me, the two worst gimmicks in that promotion. So we talked about that. That's really interesting. Uh, we talked about Rick Rubin, who, of course, was the secret financial backer of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So we talked about his interactions with Rick uh, and all sorts of other stuff as well. You know, his, his dealings with Vince McMahon, his first meeting with Vince McMahon. We talked about um, his return to WWE in 2017 to induct the Rock and Roll Express into the Hall of Fame and how he was received, by whom, uh, you know, who, 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 uh, who hugged him and who ignored him. So the way he was, uh, he was received by various people backstage and various other things as well. So, yeah, it's, it's an epic interview. It's, well, it's quite funny, uh, Ian, when we were doing the interview, and I said to him at the end, I said, you know, Jim, the first time I interviewed you was in September of 1993, when I was 23, I'm now 51, uh, and he was running Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And I uh, said to him, you know what, Jim, I didn't think that I'd still be doing this 27 years later. And he said, and I thought this was quite an interesting story, he said, neither did I. <laughs> I never thought I'd be doing it either. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully, I hope people will check that out. I think people will really enjoy the interview. Oh well, for sure I will be. Uh, I will be basically plugging the shit out of it from my side for you. Don't worry. Um, but, say, but I, think... I had to. We had to split it, running over two issues because it was. You know, it's it, in total. It'll be over ten thousand words, so it has to go over two issues. Otherwise, it'll be like a graphic novel. Exactly. <laughs> and graphic, I mean, you probably have a lot of beeps that you have to put out. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. We had a little bit of an understanding about that. <laughs> no, I think I think there's a good. I think it's nice to hear, though. Uh, uh, you know, because people, especially um, you know, a lot of the the fans that listen to our shows would be kind of fans of the modern era that have kind of been told that oh, Jim Cornette's just a bitter old man and all this kind of kind of bullshit. But it's nice to actually see the uh see you talk about the other side of jim Cornette. He, he actually is a friendly guy and will be professional and, and can be worked with you know what i mean oh absolutely and, and oh. has just an unbelievable undying passion for the art of pro wrestling um, uh, yeah and the thing about him as well is an amazing knowledge and he's yeah. keenly aware of what's going on now which yeah. some people he's 59 now i think uh, i think he said he's 60 next year i think that's right yeah a lot of uh, people personalities 
performers of his age um, don't really keep up with what's going on now. And he's keenly aware of the modern game and is a real, or, you know, got an encyclopedic knowledge of wrestling history. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy, when this guy speaks about wrestling history, you do one thing, you listen. Well, except for when you're interviewing him, when you've got to challenge him. So, yeah. which, you know, I did do. Well, uh, yeah, you're, you're one of those guys, you're one of those guys, though, as an interviewer, Finley, uh, not to blow smoke up your ass, but, um, you know, when I used to look, obviously, I grew up reading Power Slam, so obviously, uh, you know, most months, we would get a really cool interview in there, you know? And that was kind of one of my, I suppose one of my techniques that I kind of borrowed from yourself when um, when I started the show was because you've always had a good way of interview, interviewing people that make them feel comfortable. Do you know what I mean? I mean, for example, yeah. you got an interview out of Dynamite Kid you <laughs> know, back in, in the late 90s as well, yeah. which, which wasn't, you know, wasn't easy to do at that time. Um, you can say that again. Yeah, you got a lot of words as well out of Dynamite, you know, so it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, few, it, you know, a few people did contact me after that, and other people tried to interview him. Like, well, how come you got all this out of him, and these other people didn't? I said, well, I can't answer that question. I don't know. All I know is that I did. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> you're a likable fella. That's what happens, Finley. You know what I mean? That's why you're on this show. I mean, you know, you're 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 some some people would call me the prick, and you're the nice guy. So <laughs> there you but, go. I mean, doing interviews is a, is a weird one. And um, obviously we've all, we see each day, if we watch the news, political interviews where interviewers are, are deliberately hostile and they're yes. picking a fight. Yes. And you think, mm, you know, are you really trying to get some information out of this person here? What's your agenda? You know, yeah, or I mean? are you yeah. trying to get yourself over here? Exactly. And I think, and I think to myself, you know, you know in, in wrestling parlance, and I really think if you're doing an interview with someone, the interviewee should be the star, not you. And, and, if you. and if that is not the case, that is not the outcome, then you have failed as an interviewer. You know, I do get, you know, there are times with certain people, you know, who, who in, way, in some way, you know, they have to really nail people. But I'm talking generally. I think if you're doing an interview with someone, let's hear what the interview's got. Interview, the interviewee has to say, not the interviewer yeah i think that you'd probably agree with this as well like over the three years i've been doing this is i've kind of learned that there's a way of getting information from people as well that when you have a conversation with them a two things happen there you build a rapport with the with the guy or the girl that you're interviewing so there's an element of trust there i think beforehand it's always good to kind of vet the interview as well and say is it okay if we talk about this is it okay if we talk about that and not try yeah. to nail them you know what i mean um so they've got a level of comfort there as well and then you will find that as the interview goes on they tend to actually lean to some of the stuff that they wouldn't have been comfortable talking with in the first place you know i found that yeah um yeah i don't you, you'd probably agree with that Finley, well, no i agree with you because it's a, it's a respect thing and, and if they like you they're going to be even more compliant they're going to be more willing to reveal details to somebody who they like and respect or is, is being respectful to them yeah. than somebody who's trying to make them look foolish. Okay. So I think it is a two-way street there. Yeah. And as an interviewer, you have to build that trust. You have to build that respect. Um, you know, I mean, let's face it, a lot of stars do a lot of interviews. A lot of public figures do a lot of interviews. And it's like they can't be expected to remember every interviewer 
Um, and uh, I think, you know, you as the person doing the interview, you know, you've got to, you've got to prove yourself to that person yeah. that you are worthy um, of their respect and, and, and worthy of, 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 um, of them revealing stuff or, or, you know, being entertaining or whatever, you know, yeah, there's certain... One of your skills, actually, Finley, just on that point, so it doesn't leave my head because I am getting older. Uh, <laughs> and you have had coronavirus. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but one of the uh, one of the things that you mentioned there, it, and it's a very key point, a lot of these stars, and especially you know when you've interviewed a lot of people back in the day that were stars, that would be would have a press day, so they could be talking to 10, 12, 20 different people. Yeah. Um, and even at this stage in life, you know, if they're not doing many interviews, they still know the general thing. Is this going to be a generic interview or is this going to, you know, excite me? Is this going to be a good conversation? Because a lot of them want to have good conversation too. Sure. One of, one of the skills that you had, and maybe you can um, share some of the secret sauce here, was that you, you had the ability to uh, make the interview very different to what, you know, would, would appear in other magazines <clears throat> or other say shoot interviews or whatever you want to call them well um, i mean i was only ever involved in a few of those um interview days where you're given like a 20 minute or a 30 minute window sure. and if it's 30 minutes usually it's 20 minutes and sometimes it's it's fewer minutes than Less. that yeah. um you know so you come up with all your questions and you've timed it all out and worked out what you think you can ask and say in 30 minutes and um, I always feel that when you're doing an interview with a wrestler, this doesn't always happen, but your first question is usually a dud. But that you've got to kind of get that one out of the way. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you've got to do that. to. It's kind of like, you know, if you go swimming in a river or somewhere really cold, you've got to get over that initial shock and become acclimatized to the environment. And I think the you need that and the interviewee needs that as well. But most of the interviews I've done have been one-on-one, -on -one, over the phone, over Skype, very few cases face-to-face. -face. So it's just been me and that person, and usually I've had more than 20 minutes. I think it's very difficult to get a good interview in 20 minutes. I think you need at least 40 minutes to really put something together that's, you know, gonna, you know, for you both to be firing on, on all cylinders and to really get into some proper discussion, you need 40 minutes. So that I think has been, that has been part of the reason why the interviews I've done have generally been better than a lot of these generic ones where they don't have much time. Um, and, you know, there, I think you're kind of swimming upstream from the start, really, just to use another analogy, another water analogy there. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> but you are. It's a very difficult position to be in. And also if you're eighth on the list, the person you're interviewing might be bored to tears. I might just want this thing to be over. I might just think, oh, I can't just, I'm just not interested. You know, my enthusiasm for this is gone. And they'll give you the bare minimum. And the upshot of that is you end up with a, a mediocre or, or even a rubbish interview. Um, but yeah, you need time to build up that rapport and that trust. And then they might start disclosing information that they otherwise wouldn't. So it is a process. Um, but yeah, anyone who's on one of those interview days, I think it's really difficult to, to get a, a, you know, anything more than a sort of average interview from one of them, from yeah. one of those. No, that, that, that's really good points. And, and 
we talked about the level of trust and respect, so I won't follow that on with a question of asking who your more difficult interviews were, because I kind of already know anyway, because we've had many conversations. So <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Some of these stars, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But um, yeah, I suppose we should get into the, uh, into the main event. And, and, um, and I do appreciate that, because that was a nice kind of on-the-fly uh, conversation there and kind of giving a lot of people some insight into, you know, some of the great some of the great magazines that a lot of us did grow up on uh, yeah i mean i mean it is but also the thing is as well you've got to know your stuff and you've got to be willing to ask those questions you've got to do your research and i think a lot of writers now it's really difficult because there's less money in the business i mean years ago when there was a lot of money you know working in the magazine business and working for magazines that were doing well you really had no excuse for not doing your preparation and doing your research and really thinking things through because, you know, back in the 90s and even well into the 2000s, it was a very, very well-paid job, uh, especially on, on you know, some, some of the bigger magazines. Now it's more difficult to make money out of it because fewer people buy magazines, sadly. Um, but it's, um, I think a lot of it is what you put into it as well. And, and, and that's like, you know, do you, you know, what, do you have pride in your work? Yeah. And I think, you know, I like to think I do. And uh, whether I was getting paid a lot of money or, or one pence for an interview, um, I would like to think that I would put the same level of effort into it. That might sound ridiculous to some people, but I've been doing this for a long time now and I'm not interested in producing something that's not up to the standard that I've spent many, many years, I believe, reaching. So I think a lot of it, you know, the interviewers as well, I mean, you know, it is a two-way street and I think sometimes... If the, interviewee, if the interviewer recognises that the interviewee is feeling indifferent or apathetic, I think sometimes the, the interviewer needs to recognise that and try and find a way to sort of perk the interviewee up. So there are things you can do. I mean, sometimes there isn't anything you can do because the person you're interviewing is just being a total prick. But I mean, sometimes that's just the way it is. And, and your hands are tied and you, you cannot win. But I think in a lot of uh, instances it's up to the interviewer to, to make the interviewee work for it. Uh, and there are certain things you can do, but you know, it's a spontaneous thing. And you know, it's a, they call it emotional intelligence, don't they? Where you've yeah. got to be able to, you've got to be able to react to the situation or the position or the circumstances that you're in, react accordingly and make the best of, of whatever it is that you're doing. I mean, we all need emotional intelligence, don't we Ian? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're getting it right now. You know, this is, uh, you're, you're making me emotional right now. <laughs> um, no, I, I love it. As I say, I love it. It's something we always have. Uh, we always have fun on these shows and we always talk about something different. And it's nice to be able to uh, spend our second Christmas month together, actually, and talk about uh, talk about some of the great work that you've done. So um, and now we are going to we are going to get into our main event, which, again, is a bit of an insight into the mind of Finley Martin because rather than review, um, you know, a show or anything that, you know, people are used to hearing you on uh, and, and what we do uh, a lot of times when we're talking, we're actually going to uh, have some fun and, and we picked, uh, we picked some of our favorite WrestleMania matches. Um, and I suppose we will kind of explain why they're our personal favorite WrestleMania matches. It doesn't have to be because it was the, the greatest uh, catches catch can style wrestle match of all time or it's just uh, matches. There probably haven't been too many of those type of matches at WrestleMania. 
No, I mean, you could probably give some honorable mentions to maybe Brett and Owen at WrestleMania 10. I mean, that was yeah, that yeah. was probably bell to bell. Probably some people would say the best out and out wrestling match of all time, possibly, or it's one of yeah, them anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think you, yeah, I think you've got a point there. I yeah. can't argue with that much as I'd like to. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those things. But you you are um, of course the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. So uh, why don't you uh, why don't you 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 kick off? All right. Well, I'll go with uh, firstly Angle versus Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania twenty one, two thousand five. Nice. Um, you know, it's very much in the news because after Pat Patterson sadly died yesterday, um, Kurt Angle uh, tweeted a picture of himself. Pat Patterson and Shawn Michaels um, after their match at WrestleMania 21. And uh, Pat was the, the guy, the producer, the road agent, the guy who helped lay that classic out. Yeah. So I think it's you know, very timely, topical to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, I know afterwards, Patterson was elated with the quality of the match between those two. I mean, and it was without doubt the best match on that show. Yeah. Um, arguably the best match in WWE that year, um, and um, yeah, let's let's go with that one first. Just uh, I, I, like I remember that. the setup to it as well being so well. Remember them attacking each other in Raw Rumble, and yeah. and then wasn't didn't Michaels have a match? With, I think he had a match with Edge, didn't he? On was it on Raw? And I think did Kurt Angle run in and attack Michaels? Yeah, if my memory serves me correctly, I think you're right, yeah. It was some sort of angle anyway. Someone was having a, a match. One of them was having a match with Edge on TV, and that was a really good match. Yeah. Um, and then the other guy ran in and attacked him. So there was, you know, it was a lot of really big moments to set that thing up. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping we get something like that from Royal Rumble this year. You know, something like that at Royal Rumble to set up a WrestleMania match. That's what I'd like to see. Old school booking. I know you agree with you. That's when we had some of the some of the greatest promos as well from Kurt Angle, right? When he brought Sherry out and he was sexy, Kurt. All right, yeah. Marty Jannetty was involved as well. Marty Jannetty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was, oh man, that, that was actually such a great run up to WrestleMania. That was built, um, you know, over the course of that two, three months, whatever it was, that was built in classic style. And I think it's, yeah, you're hundred percent correct. It's 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 a nice way to pay tribute to uh to Pat Patterson, who uh, obviously unfortunately passed away yesterday and, and, and show the level of work that Pat Patterson was able to uh just, just he was the best. He was plain and simply the best. Yeah, it was I mean, you know, all the tributes that were paid to him and just heartfelt tributes as well. Yeah. You know, these people were doing it because they wanted to do it and because they loved him as a person and as a professional. And he did so much to further their careers. Yeah. I mean, just did so much for so many people in that company. Um, and yeah, what a really nice, you know, tribute that was by Kurt, just yeah. to put that, like, that picture of, of the three of them together. Um, and just, you know, Pat was, you know, never mind the referee. Okay, he's the third man in the ring. But really the third man in that match was Pat Patterson. For sure. For sure. It was a, it was a true way almost, you know. It yeah. really was. Um, I love that. Yeah, that's a great show. I went <clears throat> for my first one. I've actually went with Savage and Warrior. Um, going going a little bit further back at WrestleMania seven, I believe. Yeah, yeah, ninety one. Yep. Yep. And um, wow, that was a, the main event of that show was obviously Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Slaughter basically selling America out. That was <laughs> that was crazy. 
Um, but Savage and Warrior, again, it's a, it's a follow-on from Warrior having another, in my opinion, great WrestleMania um, match following on from the previous year where he obviously defeated Hogan at WrestleMania 6. Um, and, I mean, Warrior went in there with the right guy. You roll it back a year before that. Who who was Warrior versus Rude, right? Rick Rude. He was on. We may as well kill two birds with one stone. We we had said off air that we were going to mention those those matches. So two Warrior matches that we picked actually. Um, yeah. I mean, it, when you get Warrior in with the right opponent, guiding him the right way, there was a story to be told, right? Sure. Um, and sure, I think absolutely. that story with Savage and Warrior is just incredible. I mean, how many elbow drops was it in the end? I can't remember. I, it was it was pretty crazy. And plus, Savage's career was on the line. Remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was actually such an emotional roller coaster that match, especially. I mean, that was nineteen ninety one, right? So yes. I was probably seven or eight years old. I remember going like, "Wow!" And of course, Miss Elizabeth comes in at the end, and it was wow they they really know knew how to tell stories in a wrestling match imagine that in 2020 <laughs> i mean a strong hint was dropped prior to the match i believe uh, savage is wearing a, a white hat i think that's correct yes that is correct i have the i have the uh, the mattel elite macho man that is impossible to get now that i won on a raffle believe it or not oh um, and it yeah it was the white and purple it was some of the best gear savage ever wore the white and purple with the uh, with the tassels, unbelievable. Liz, we, you know, we'd all seen the cowboy movies. You know, where the heroes wear the white hat, the villains oh, wear yeah. the black hat. You know, it telegraphed in a sense. It was a hint of what was to come. Very and then, so. yeah, yeah, and then there's like Sherry was was at ringside. I think Elizabeth came in and attacked her, and then they reconciled. Did Savage and Elizabeth, and it was a very, it was a really emotional moment actually. Uh, and and you know, I think. If you go back and, you know, review the story leading up to this, which dates all the way back to the previous WrestleMania, of course, with Savage, actually prior to that, the, the famous Mega Powers Explode um, angle on the main event in the match against the Twin Towers. Yep. So it dates back over a year there with the Savage-Liz split, you know, and Savage becoming this, you know, ultimate evil heel there. Um, and then a year later, sees the error of his ways and him and Liz reconcile and then they get married at SummerSlam. Well, let's not talk about that, Ian. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> we don't need to go too far. Uh, you can, absolutely. Absolutely. How good, how good was, was Sherry? My God, she was just so good, wasn't she? She was. I mean, and it really, she wasn't, I never really thought, her, thought she was much of a wrestler, but there again, you know, the women's division, if you go back to the 80s in WWE, it very did have different. a women's, yeah, very, very different, you know, lots of it controlled by Moolah, um, you know, and Sherry was there and she could never really become the proper top heel because like, you know, Moolah's there and, but I mean, yeah, she, to me, she was never that good as a wrestler. Moolah and when just she, really overstayed her welcome, didn't she? Like, I mean, it's like, if she was even there in the first place, she was just basically a pimp. That's what she was. And she's been oh. exposed for it. Like, so. I mean, yeah, what like, a comeback that woman was. Oh, absolutely. absolute horrible woman. Like, and I mean, we're, we're allowed to say that now. And most women that listen to the show will agree with that because we know what she was doing. And, you know, yeah, just a horrible thing. We won't spend too long on it. But I mean, if you wanted Sherry, I mean, that's a real, real top heel, right? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, she became uh, like more of a manager or valet, or you want to call it, with, with Savage. And she was, she did so much to enhance his heel run. I mean, in a sense, you think Savage is so good, you know, as an all-rounder. I don't know whether he was the best in WWF at that time as an all-round performer, but if not, definitely top three. One of them, yeah. He'd been champion. Yeah. He'd, you know, I think been like, I think only about a second WWF wrestler to make more than a million dollars in a year. You know, I mean, he was like, he was like a huge, huge star in that company. I mean, after Hogan left to do No Holds Bad, Savage actually had a tremendous run as champion uh, at the house shows. And his feud with DiBiase uh, was like, you know, box office gold. So Savage, in a sense, you think, well, why would he need Sherry? But I mean, she absolutely enhanced his act. And you think that that wouldn't really be possible, but she did. And she was such a great villain. I think part of the reason why she was so good was that she was, and this, this is kind of weird now because obviously none of this would happen in 2020, but she was fair game for pretty much anything, wasn't she? Oh yeah. yeah. You know, in you know, 89, when she was there at Savage's side and Savage was facing, uh, you know, after Savage had, sorry, after Savage had lost the belt to Hogan in 89, um, he uh, then hooks up with Sherry, she becomes his manager and she's taking all these bumps and taking all these shots from all these guys. And obviously that wouldn't happen now, of course. But I mean, that was part of the reason I think why she was so good was that she was really, she was willing to pretty much do anything to get the match over. She, you know, she'd just take those shots from the male wrestlers. And she'd Very take unselfish. Them. Very yeah. unselfish. I yeah. mean, I don't know when we're, we're going to talk about Sherry again, but I mean, I think her work with Shawn Michaels was probably some of the most entertaining um, I mean, SummerSlam 92, just to segue here a little bit, you know, no slaps to the face. <laughs> the, the guy is kind of trying to carry her out. Like, it was just absolutely brilliant. And uh, what a what a woman Sherry was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my match. So what's your next one? Um, I think the next one I really got to go with probably Austin versus The Rock. WrestleMania oh. 17. Oh, it was interesting review, reviewing Rebellion 2000 today uh, from Sheffield Arena that took place in, October, uh, in December of 2000. And um, it was kind of a bit of a, you know, it was one of those UK pay-per-views that didn't really mean a whole lot in the overall scheme of things. But the main event was a four-way between Angle, who was then champ, Rikishi, The Rock and Austin. Rock and Austin were baby faces um, and they were like... Um, they were both baby faces, so most of the beginning of the match, most of it was, uh, was them battling the villains, battling, battling Angle and Rikishi. But then there's like a sequence in it where there's just those two, and then they start going at it. And they're two faces, both beloved by the audience in Sheffield. Great crowd that night. Oh, and always in the UK, though. All those, all those UK pay-per-views were just red hot. Yeah, I mean, the crowd was really into it. And... You know, for two faces who don't have an issue with each other, who essentially, who essentially, essentially allies to provoke the kind of reaction they did for their stuff, just showed how over they were. Oh, um, yeah. And it's just what used to always crack me up was the rock stunner bump. It would take the most ridiculous bump for the Stone Cold Stunner. It was crazy. He just, he just went up on his neck and... <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I mean, it must have been a rib on Austin. It I just think, must have I been. Think so. I think so. 
<laughs> just, I mean, the two guys who I, I sort of enjoyed seeing take the stunner the most were Vince, Vince. because it was yeah. so bad. It, it was, was just so like, bad. you know, watch Vince taking the, take the stunner. This is why his dad, wouldn't, Vince McMahon Sr., would not allow this man to become a pro wrestler. <laughs> he just, like, folded into, like, an accordion. He kind of just, like, shriveled into his body. Like, it was so weird the way Vince took it. It was actually very, very funny. It yeah, was almost... But... Jim Ross was probably the worst one. Actually, <laughs> probably, yeah. I guess I, I mentioned uh, Vince because he, he took more stunners than Jim. Oh, oh, yeah. I oh, know Vince. I, and the funny thing is, when you go back and watch Vince taking them, it's just comedy gold, isn't it? It's oh, just, it is. And, and the way Vince threw punches and just potatoed the heck out of you, it was like, oh, my God. He always did crap me up about pro wrestling. Is that the people who didn't really know what they were doing, the stuff would look terrible. And yet they'd end up hurting each other. Yeah. And you think, what a paradox that is. <laughs> oh, crazy, crazy. <laughs> but I suppose what the more you think about it, it's not a paradox. It's actually completely logical. Um, yeah. <laughs> so when you think about it, on the surface, it's a paradox. Whoa, if that looks so awful, why are these guys all injured? It's like, well, think about it a little bit more deeply. It's like, oh, yes. But, uh, but yeah, so Rock took this amazing stunner bump. Um, and then afterwards, they had like the beer bash and they're both so over. And you could see at that point, obviously, that was the plan for the WrestleMania main event um, at, uh, from Houston. And uh, I mean, it was an amazing match. It obviously clashed before at WrestleMania. Um, so, you know, back at WrestleMania 15 and then obviously they had the one at WrestleMania 17. And then the final match was at WrestleMania 19, wasn't it, in 2003? Yeah, yeah. But I think the 17 match was the one that, that uh, people remember the most because it was the best match of the three. It was on the show that drew the most buys. It was, by many estimations, the main event of the, you know, the best WrestleMania ever. Uh, and then Austin did the heel turn. Now, I'm not going to get into whether or not the Austin heel turn was a good thing or a bad thing here because that's another discussion for another time. Yeah. Anyone who's read any of... My writings know how I feel about it, so I'm not going to go into that here. But I mean, to me, that was the best of their three WrestleMania matches. It was epic. Uh, there was a lot of blood. Uh, I think he, I don't know. I mean, I think the blood did enhance it, but it was like so much heat. It was the occasion. Lots of people say this was the pinnacle of the Attitude Era, or some people say this is where the Attitude Era ended, which I guess is, you know, a fair point. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, a legendary WrestleMania match. Yeah, I, I, I love it as well. Um, such a strange ending as well, which, but, but, but it, I suppose it, some of it fit, some of it didn't. But like you say, that's a conversation for a different, a different day. Yeah. Um, I've actually went with, um, on the next one, I've actually went with Rowdy Roddy Piper and Brett the Hitman Hart, WrestleMania 8. Yes. Uh, Intercontinental title on the line. Um, starts with a great promo backstage between Piper and, and Brett, where Piper's poking fun. I remember your mama. I remember your papa. I remember when you were only knee-high to a grasshopper. <laughs> you know? It's, it's weird that I even remember that. He was like, ah, oh, Mrs. Harden be making those sandwiches with bologna, but only one piece of bologna, but that's okay. And <laughs> uh, Just antagonizing Brett, but trying to be fun, and then you see the great, you know, Brett kind of shuts him off and you see Piper get angry then, you know. It was just, Piper was so good at being able to flick that switch. Yeah. Having fun and then getting serious. And, you know, 
it really set the tone for the match that we were about to see um, because it was like, right, these are two baby baby faces, basically. Sure, yeah. But that interview beforehand, I just thought, was absolutely genius because you're looking at it going, okay, shit's gotten serious now. You know, Brett's not playing around, and now Piper's not playing around either. Um, and I thought it was a really good wrestling match. I mean, I think it's one of Piper's best matches. Um, bell to bell, you probably agree with that. Um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, he was not—he was not really renowned for his technical ability. Yeah. <laughs> his technical gifts. No, yeah. Even yeah, though yeah, he's absolutely. one of my favorites, like it's yeah, he's a brawler, you know. But but yes. obviously, getting in there with you know, a young, fired-up Brett who obviously wants to go to the top. Um, and the two two boys obviously are related long-distance-wise, so they had a lot of love and respect for each other. So it's one of those matches where you can definitely see uh, Pat Patterson's hands all over the finish as well. Um, I mean, and how many times have we seen that finish? You know, with a sleeper, the oh. reverse. We've seen that finish used so many times. That was the first, though, yeah. Uh, and it was... It was actually the best executed as well because obviously we saw at Survivor Series '96 then with um, with Brett and Austin. Um, it was a little bit sloppier, but on this occasion, wow! This was uh, this was just one of those those kind of finishes that you could, uh, you know, that Bret Hart was so good at. You know what I mean? And, and by yeah. all accounts, I believe Pat Patterson did mention that that was Bret that came up with that that actual finish. Um, yeah. Kind of like the roll-up at WrestleMania 10, you know, with Owen. Just, it's so good. Like, it's just, um, yeah, but it, uh, this match in particular stood out to me, you know, again, there's a lot of color in this one, which you wanted to mention, and the fact that Brett's wearing all pink, it was all red by the end of it. It was, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, Brett did the unauthorized blade job, uh, As currently he gets away with it, but Ric Flair, who did an, also did an unauthorized blade job on this show in his match with Randy Savage, supposedly didn't get away with it. Yeah. Um, which is, to me, a bizarre story that two of the biggest stars on the show would do unauthorized blade jobs in their matches and that one of them would apparently get away with it and Vince would believe that it's hardware and the other wouldn't when they were so obviously blade jobs. Because as we know, if you get cut hardware in a wrestling match, it looks very different from juice from blade job. So yeah. I always find that story a bit curious. And I'm not sure whether I really believe it, uh, but I think the blood did add to those matches and did make them more dramatic. Uh, and also in the, in the Piper Brett match, there was that moment when he's, he goes and gets the ring bell, doesn't he? And it's yes. like, is he going to use it? Is, is Piper going to turn heel? And then, you know, he's working the crowd and, it was just a really nice little layer to it that Piper's kind of realized that he can't beat Brett. He's busted him open, you know, but he still can't beat him without the bell. And I think that really showed the amount of respect that Piper had for Bret Hart. Because this was a guy who did not do a lot of jobs in the WWF. Especially with his shoulders pinned to the mat. Yeah, you know, he very seldom lost in that company. And, um, you know, we've got Brett bleeding. Piper goes in, he's got to try and take a shortcut. You know, the message he's conveying is that I can't beat Brett without a shortcut, without resorting to these illegal tactics. And then, of course, didn't, doesn't use the ring bell. And Brett pins him. And, yeah, what a tremendous finish. So convincing as well, that pin. Oh, and I remember thinking, my God, there's no way Piper... It? 
Yeah, there's it's like, no way Piper's going to do the job. There's no way Piper's going to lose. He never loses. And then he lost. And then, yeah. you know, then they'd like um, hugged afterwards, didn't they? And Piper, I mean, that was like a textbook, you know, one of the archetypal examples of how to put someone over. Yeah. Uh, passing of the torch without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, putting the belt on and raising the hand, getting out of the ring at the right time, letting you know, letting the guy who just won get himself over now. This is the future. Yeah, I mean, this is this is just Roddy Piper in his absolute finest. And, of course, you know, Brett in his, you know, at his, his kind of excellence where you can see how good he is as, as a singles because he's really kind of starting off singles, you know, maybe yeah. a year or two within the – probably about a year, am I right? Yeah, well, well, I mean, the previous year he was still because the Heart Foundation had split, hadn't they? And then he they had have, that, yeah. that singles run, and then the Heart Foundation reformed, and then they had that second run with the belts, didn't they? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but Brett was keen to go solo, and he did did do. I mean, he's big. I guess you'd say that the match where he really established himself as a you know future title contender would have been the the match with Perfect, I guess, at SummerSlam '91, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which uh, was, you know, a spectacular performance by both guys, and, oh, and especially Lord. Hennig went in the match with, a I think, he, yeah, yeah, the yeah. back, yeah, the back injury, which, you know, he never had a match as good as that again in his career. You know, shows so, you. It kind of shows you how much respect a lot of these top level talent had for Brett. You know, so with a lot of the, uh, a lot of this kind of crap that you hear from the likes of Scott Hall and people like that, you know, it, it's. It's like no real wrestlers respected this guy. You know what I mean? Um, top level talent respected this guy and put him over. Unlike someone like Scott Hall, who's just quite clearly a clown. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, one of Razor, obviously Razor Mon's, everybody knows his best matches in WWF, where we show Michaels yeah. at uh, you know WrestleMania 10 uh, and SummerSlam 95 in the ladder match. But he had a pretty amazing match, didn't we, Brett, at Royal Rumble 93? Yes, and that was a great match. I don't know. It's funny, Scott Hall just kind of, you wonder sometimes whether he's ribbing on people or not, but he just, he kind of picks out a few legends that he likes and some that he doesn't, and he kind of just goes overboard. And it's kind of a guy, you know, have some humility from, from you know, you're on, you're on tape looking like an absolute mess. And, you know, you've been known to be a mess and the fans reached out and paid over 80,000 to, to, you know, to get you, to get you fixed and get you better. Just sometimes show some humility. I mean, I know stories of personal stories of people that have met him in the airport, you know, even after that. And they said he was absolute asshole, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's sad kind of to see that, like, it, well, I mean, it shows really that he's the bad guy because he quite clearly doesn't care. You know, it's the fact that he's better now. I can do what I want. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge him for you know for any addictions or anything like that. I, you know that can happen to anybody. Sure it can. Um, but I think when you do battle through something like that, and you have a, you're on documentary, and you know someone like DDP who is a real life saint, <laughs> you know, helps you and puts you over, and it's on camera. Just have some humility, you know. Um, yeah. Some yeah. of these guys just, I mean, I don't know, they're just. Your mama raised your own, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, um, to me, you know, with Scott Hall and, you know, he was a good in-ring performer. He was. Yeah. How, you know, but he wasn't great. No, he, he was, was never he a was guy. good. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. But he was never a top guy. He was, 
you know, he was inter intercontinental title, US title level, level. He was never somebody who could have become world or heavyweight champion because he just, he was not, he didn't have all the aspects that a wrestler needs to be on top. And I know you people say, well, look at Goldberg and all this, this. well, you know, Hall was not the drawing card that Goldberg was. But I'm talking about actually mechanics in the ring. Yeah, he could do certain things, but to me, he was not a guy that you could put with a lesser performer and Ramon would really lift him up and there really make, make him shine. Um, Razor was a guy who, he was the guy that had to be elevated by his opponents. So, and, and you, agree. I mean, yeah. the things that he did look good. I loved his punches. They looked snug. Um, you know, he could have some great matches. I mean, he, I can pick out a few in WCW. He had some good matches with Savage. Um, he had some good matches with Hennig. He had some, some decent matches with DDP. But like I say, I think he's another one of these guys that are from the clique that, um, that think that they were more relevant than they were. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think I mean, Nash was pretty relevant because he was world championship level because of the look and the size of him, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, and he was, you know, he was a... I mean, they're about good-looking guys. They had the long hair. They were kind of cool. But I do think that's what separate. I think you got it spot on. I think um, Nash didn't necessarily need to be carried to a match because, you know, Nash didn't need a long match. I mean, I think Nash, again, we go back. Nash probably had his best match against Bret Hart as well, King of the Ring. Yeah, um, and, he, and the Survivor Series match as well. Yeah, um, and the Survivor Series, yeah. The, yeah, that was really good. You know, they're, they're matches, but people like Nash don't need to have, you know, great long matches. He's, he's a, you know, he's a star by just looking at him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't mean to... Uh, Go I off suppose, on a tangent there, but you know, I think shoot, it is... Shoot on, uh, on Scott Hall, you know, it's, uh, but uh, yeah, just uh, some of the comments I've seen him make recently as well. I'm just like, show some humility, dude, and just get over yourself, you know? Yeah. I think it's just that I understand, you know, you, there's a lot of things you can knock Brat Hart for. And I've done this many times in the past. I'm not going to now because sure. that's not the purpose of this conversation. Sure. What you cannot knock Brett for is this was a guy that went in there and eight times out of 10, he made his opponent look better than he ever had before. Yeah. So this was a guy who made people look better. And Razor Ramon didn't do that very often. And there are many recorded examples of him basically making people look like garbage because he had his own agenda or his own motives for doing so. But to me, you know, Razor was not the guy. You know I mean, okay, there was the one, two, three kids squash, but they were buddies. And that was just like a short match. And in many ways, Razor benefited much from, as much from that as Sean Waltman did, and, and that was a different type of match anyway. Who did Sean Waltman have his best ever match with as well? Brad, well, probably Brad Hart, yeah. There you go. So the yeah, clip, the clip yeah, kind of uh, have a lot to uh, thank a certain Calgarian for. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, but to me, yeah, Razor was not a guy that was, was, was somebody that was going to make people look like world beaters, and Brett exactly. was. So let's give him credit for that. Anyway, on to on to my next and final selection. Yes, and this was kind of a mutual one that we picked, but we, I wanted you to pick this because obviously you can explain it much more elegantly and articulately than I can. Oh, give go over. Ahead. Go give ahead, over. sir. <laughs> give over. Well, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker, the second one, 2010. Yep. Um, they'd obviously had the, the match the previous year, which was classic matchup, basically saved 
the 2009 WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, then it comes to 2010. Shawn Michaels actually announced at the Slammies. Do you remember that? He announced that he wanted yeah. to face Undertaker at the Slammies. Well, obviously, at the Slammies, he announced that he wanted to face the Undertaker at WrestleMania. Do you want to face him at the Slammies? <laughs> so, oh, well, that would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so thus begins, begins the storyline of Sean attempting to win the Royal Rumble. Yep. Doesn't win the Royal Rumble. He starts self-destructing. He knows all these things he tries to do to get that rematch with The Undertaker. Uh, all of them fail. You know, he's, he's there. He's, he's dispirited backstage. He's falling out with Triple H. You know, Triple H is what you're doing. You know, get a hold of yourself, man. You know, this is Great an obsession. Story, yeah. Yeah. Great story. This is an obsession. And Michaels is there, like, communicating. I, I've got to have this match with him. I've got to beat him. I've got to avenge that loss on my record. Um, and in the end, on, was it Raw? It would have been Raw. Sometime in late February, anyway. Yep. He challenges The Undertaker to a match. Finally comes out face-to-face. -face, I want that WrestleMania match. And then Undertaker says, right, okay, I'll give you that match. But in order for me to put my streak on the line, you have got to put your career on the line. And then Michael says, you don't get it. If I can't defeat you at WrestleMania, I have no career. You're oh, on. And it was just like, so serious. Shawn you Michaels know, was so good at that, wasn't he? He was so good at that time, like. He was, and sometimes with Sean, you, you half expected him to, you know, crack up laughing right yeah. after he said these really solemn and serious yeah. um, statements or challenges or whatever. But I mean, he absolutely held it together. I mean, he, he always did. There's no corpse in it all. You sort of half expected him to just crack up, and he didn't. And uh, the match is on, and so Sean's career is on the line. Undertaker wins again in another outstanding masterpiece of a match. Um, and then Sean retires until he comes back in Saudi Arabia. As a bald guy. And it's just like, Sean just wants us all to forget about that comeback match. Yeah, I think so. I think he took the paycheck and he was like, okay, this is good money. But uh, yeah, I wish I didn't do that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, in my uh, opinion, it's the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. I got to say, Um you want to talk about storytelling. You want to talk about entering craftsmanship. Um, there wasn't a bum move. It was just, oh, my God, it was, you know, Sean comes out red hot, you know, with strikes, punching the Undertaker. He's trying to get the advantage early. Oh, it just had everything that a wrestling match needs, in, especially in the modern era, in any era, let's be fair. Yeah, yeah. Just that uh, drama and the high stakes, you know, and, and a lot of it is, is because of their pedigree, their reputations, their legend. That's, you know, had two other people had a match like this, it wouldn't have been as good. It was because it was those two guys in this story that had been built up so well. But I mean, that's pro wrestling. Oh. I mean, you know, the booking, this is, you know, this is what the booking's all about. Is your booker is there to make everyone look better. And if the booker isn't doing that, then fire the damn booker. Do you think uh, Pat Patterson might have come back for that? Because, you know, around that time, Pat Patterson used to kind of lend his, lend his wisdom to certain matches around that period. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure someone could have just rung him up if he wasn't there. But, I mean, 
you know, the thing is, it was always a big event, wasn't it, by then, WrestleMania? Yeah. It was like they do, you know, the Hall of Fame and everyone would get together. And it was a big media event and they do the access and all these other things. So I'm sure Pat Patterson would have been there that weekend. I'm sure he wouldn't have missed that one for the world. No. And, and yeah, definitely the greatest wrestling match of all time. And I suppose my last match, which is also considered one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time, is the match that um, absolutely shoots, you know, a certain Stone Cold Steve Austin to the moon. And that is Austin and Brett, WrestleMania 13, Ken Shamrock, special referee. I think we would be, we'd be failing our listeners if we didn't mention that. In, uh, it would in- be a dereliction of duty. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, this match had everything and the kitchen sink, you know. It was... Um, it was a match that you weren't used to seeing Brett in, in terms of, you know, using foreign objects that much and, you know, going into the crowds and, you know, you saw a different side of Brett and obviously the whole, you know, I suppose psychology of that is that this guy has just pushed Brett to the brink and Brett's losing his mind because some of the fans aren't cheering him anymore. And, you know, all these fans are, you know, sellouts and Brett's the bitter guy. Like, you know, you're, you're meant to cheer for me. You know, this yeah. is my this is my birthright. Yeah. And uh, Austin's coming in, and it's a different America at this time. Fans are flipping the bird, uh, you know. Cheering the anti-hero, aren't they? Yes, very much so. It was like uh, it was like the Deadpool era before Deadpool got cool, you know. Yeah. Um, what a what a what a story. Um, I'll pass it over to you, Vin. Yeah, I mean the thing about it is, and I interviewed Brett. I think, was it last year? Yeah, I did an interview with him last year for Inside the Ropes. Oh, sure, yeah. I remember you telling me that, yeah. And uh, we talked a lot about this match. And um, I just said, oh, I think it was like, if not the greatest WrestleMania match ever, or the greatest match in WWF stroke E history, if not the best, certainly one of the top three. And, you know, you know, Brett, you know, I mean, he was... He's not really that humble when it comes to his talents. Let's be honest. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I, I, you you know I'm a big Bret Hart fan, and I, I defend him. I defend him to the death. But um, yeah, I I will give you that, and that's where a lot of people get me sometimes. It's like, it was none of that. Oh, give over. Oh, stop it. You know the thing that celebs do. You no, know, you it's to- more like you know, uh, Finn. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> Exactly. He was taking all the credit. It's like, yep, absolutely it was. I can't think of anything else that was even approaching. You know? And if it did, then I was in that as well. So, I mean, it was quite funny, really, talking about that. Oh. And, and one thing that you really stressed was that it was a submission match. Yeah. So there was yeah. no near falls. So that usual drama-building tactic of, you know, near falls, false finishes, and all the other stuff that you can do in connection with that, which is typically what, wrestlers use to create classic matchups sure yeah you know that was banned that was that was not available to them that was um that was something that they had to they had to find something to fill that void and neither i mean obviously brett did have the sharpshooter uh and austin had used the the million Million dollar dollar dream dream. but he wasn't really using that he was on to the stunner by this point wasn't he yeah so he was not really seen as a submission guy. So even though these two guys were not submission wrestlers, really, they somehow made that work. Um, and I think, you know, the Austin Blade job and, and that camera work, you know, with him there and the sharpshooter and he lifts his head up and 
It was the photo they used on the cover of uh, Castone Cold Said So, you know, the, the, the 1987 yeah. VHS that was released. VHS, that's back in the day. Oh, the good stuff. The good stuff that you could buy at the back of Power Slam. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but if you wanted the bloody picture, you had to buy it from Silver Vision. Oh, yeah. Who were then, who were then the official distributors of WWF uh, videos. Um, UK Rampage it, 92, eh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if you went in the shop, it was like, it was kind of like a censored version of the cover, as I, re- sure. as I recall. As I recall, yeah. because it was, you know, a pretty graphic picture there of Austin with old blood. But that was a tremendous shot. And, you know, Austin, of course, didn't tap out because top guys in, if you're a top guy in Vince's eyes, you do not tap out. You no. just don't. You pass out with pain. That's yeah. what real men do. Honor. And real women, of course, now. No, yeah. Let's not mention that as well. Yeah, yeah. So Brett wins. He's already turned heel in the match. But then we get the proper double turn afterwards with Ken Shamrock basically, you know, getting involved. And, you know, by the end of that match, you have this classic bout. We've had Brett winning, but somehow Austin's been totally protected on the finish. No one thinks any less of him for losing. And we've got these two guys who, you know, kind of went into it as the top face and the, the top heel. And the roles have been reversed like that. So... It was an amazing piece of business. Uh, one of the, when you factor everything in, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the best match of all time because my favorite match of all time is Mizawa Kabashi from March 2003, I think it was. That's my, that to me is the greatest wrestling match of all time. But that was obviously very different to this. But I mean, as far as WWF goes, certainly up until that point, this was the best thing I'd ever seen in that company. And I'd say it's still top three matches of all time in that company's history easy easy i'd agree with you personally my favorite matches that i've seen of all time are uh you know probably the second one with tiger mask and dynamite kid just just from my personal standpoint um but i would agree with you uh, on the masawa one as well actually what a match good uh, good show yeah i think you're correct when you say that it has to be in the top three i mean the two matches that we've just mentioned there michael's taker Austin Brett, I mean, they are two of your three, right? I mean, you sure, can, you they've, can, they've got to be, haven't they? They've got to be. They, they're the standard, and I mean, then you can really pick, you know, what what you like for 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 the third. I mean, yeah. It's, um, it, it's and and, just... and as, you, as you said, I mean, this was a match as well that shot Austin to the top, set him on the course. I mean, he was already there anyway. The King of the Ring performance the previous year had changed his career, and he by the end of 1996. He was the guy that people were cheering. And, yeah. you know, the Survivor Series 96 match with, with Brett, I think, was, was a big turning point for, for Steve. But this was better. The WrestleMania match and was bigger as well with him doing the official face turn there. And Brett going heel, except for in Canada when he's a face. Uh, or internationally in the UK would have been received as a face. Um, but it was, yeah, it was the start of Austin's journey to the top. And uh, one year later... WrestleMania 14, he wins the big title for the first time. Attitude Era's in full swing. And WWF's making more money than it's ever seen. You know what's crazy as well, when you think about it, like let's say, let's, let's play fantasy book in here, and Survivor Series doesn't happen, and Vince doesn't choose the wrong guy over the right guy, you know, um, which essentially did happen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
put all his money on Sean, and then Sean was out at Mania 14. That was it. Yeah. Um, and Brett was basically wasting away in WCW. Sure he um, was. If that doesn't happen, imagine the matches that you have with Bret Hart still in that company. Because he's, he's a huge part of the Attitude Era kicking off, let's be real. Um, yeah, he is, but Brett was, and I don't know how much of this was, was storyline at the time and him playing a character, but he was not, he was not, he, I don't think he genuinely, I, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but genuinely at the time, I don't think he approved of the changes. Oh, the no, transition I agree. I agree there. That's why I say let's play fantasy booking where just in terms of some of the matches and storylines we see him in, you know, because, yeah. well, I mean, you, you to get to see Brett and Shamrock, which should have really happened after that match, to be fair. Yeah, it uh, should have done. Yeah, you're because right. Because that's, that's the right story to go into. You've just cost me my match, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And you're the reason now that these people hate me. It's perfect booking. Um you know, the matches he could have had with Austin, the matches he could have had with, uh, you know, with the guys that were coming in later then. I mean, it was only 1999. The matches he could have had with the likes of the Jerichos, the Guerreros, the Benoits, which we've seen on WCW. It was, it's such a travesty the way things worked out, you know, for everybody, for Sean as well, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. With the, you know, the freak injury in the casket match with the Undertaker at Royal Rumble and, you know, then he's, you know, that's it and thinks he's never going to wrestle again and, and obviously didn't do for over four more, for over four years. Well, I think he did have like one match, didn't he, in his, his training school? He had like yeah. one match there, I think. But officially, he didn't wrestle for like nearly four and a half years. But I mean, yeah, if that had happened, there had been no double cross at Survivor Series 97. Does Vince turn heel? Does he become a heel character? Exactly. And if he doesn't become a heel character, everything changes. Everything's different. Butterfly and, effect, right? Yeah. And who knows where it all would have gone? And would Brett have been, you know, would Brett have been a problem for Austin? I mean, I always say that Austin, in many That's ways, true. Yeah. In many ways, many ways, Austin was one of the. You know, it's not luck. There's just circumstances and things just happen there's turns of events that people cannot prevent and in many ways austin was very unlucky i mean look at what happened at SummerSlam 97 with owen yeah i mean that should never have happened i have no idea what owen hart was thinking i don't i don't and i love owen hart but i do not know either you know a guy who was one of the safest and most respected performers in the company you know in the entire business would execute that pile driver i i just have no idea how that could happen um but i mean yeah you you go you fast forward to march of 1998 brett's gone he's in wcw it's already going wrong for him there sean's suffered this devastating back injury in the casket match with undertaker at raw rumble doesn't even know whether he's going to be able to do the match. You know, there's all sorts of rumors about what he didn't, didn't do that day, but let's not get into that here. Yeah. In the end, he gets in the ring, he loses the belt to Austin, and then he's out. So there's no Shawn Michaels vying for Vince McMahon's attention backstage each yeah. week. There's no Shawn, there's no Bret Hart being difficult. Um, and saying, well, what about me? No, I should be pushed more than this guy. No, I'm not what doing that. Raven? <laughs> well exactly <laughs> what, yeah but but that's my point is that 
Austin was there and he had none of these people vying for his spot. He was the undisputed star and he had Vince McMahon's undivided attention and had Brett and Sean or Brett, had Brett and Sean or Brett or Sean been there, I think there could have been a lot of complications for Steve Austin in 1998. That's a really good point, and I agree. I mean, as probably one of the biggest Bret Hart fans on the planet, as people know, I would also agree with that as well. I mean, there were certain times when you're like, okay, maybe this time you need to just pipe down and take a step back. You know what I mean? Because there was a level there that he was at at 40, 41 years old that he could still look in shape, still look great, but could have been a great guy to be to be back down at that kind of just the one under you know not necessarily throw him down to intercontinental level but throw him down just under um there and and you know there probably would have been one or two more belts you know over the couple of years that passed on which is fine but but not being the guy all the time yeah. you know what i mean let austin be the guy right now because mm. he's selling the shirts he's what people want he yeah. is part of americana pop culture right now Yes. And I'd agree, yeah, Brett probably would have been difficult there. I'd, I'd, I'd no problem at uh, admitting that. And I yeah. think you're right. I think Sean would have been a problem there too. I think, um, yeah, I mean, because they were egocentric. Peas you know, in a pod, two peas in a pod, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was why they clashed, because they were so similar in, in so many ways. And, you know, pride gets in the way. Pride is such a problem in pro wrestling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you go back and look at Bruno, Bruno had his second run, couldn't wait to get rid of it, couldn't wait to drop the belt. And then Backlund became champ in 79. Bruno was there, obviously had that huge feud in 1980 with Larry Zabisco. And, you know, Bruno, if he wanted to, he could have made a case for another run. He could have said to Vince Sr., oh, well, I'm doing better business with Larry Zabisco than Bob Backlund is, I should be champ again. But Bruno was content, he'd had his run. He knew he was a legend and he was happy to stand back and let Bob Backlund have the glory. It would, would have been Brett nice have done, done that, wouldn't it? Yeah, would, would Brett have done that for Steve Austin? And that's the question. Maybe with Steve, I think they definitely respect one another to, on, a, on a very personal level, don't they? I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's not for us to really... Uh... Well, it, it doesn't matter. We can speculate about this all day. It's but... over. It's happened 20 odd years ago. So there's <laughs> nothing we can do about it now. But I, I think it's interesting to really, you know, when you really delve into it and, and really look at the big picture of all the different characters and their personalities and how they behaved at the time. And it's easy to say, oh, well, they wouldn't have done that. And it's like, well, go back and look at the, look what they did in months prior to that. Yeah. And that's very consistent with their behavior at the time. Yeah, so, true. you know, Steve in many ways was very unlucky, but in other ways was very lucky because he had Vince there. The angle post Royal Rumble 98, which to me is still the greatest angle ever with Tyson and Vince and Shane and Slaughter and Briscoe there. Just the most amazing angle. Vince disappears, comes back the night after WrestleMania 14. The feud starts proper. We're primed. We're ready for it. And, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was the thing that broke... The, the Nitro's ratings streak, didn't it? And yeah. set WWF on a course to become the number one company in the world again. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's kind of sad almost. It's kind of like sad uh, that, you know, the two guys that, you know, Brett and Sean, that, 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 that was so, was such a big deal and, and both, both kind of faded after, you know, a couple of months after the Survivor Series, basically. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of sad, but I suppose we're going to wrap it up here. It was actually really interesting talking about something completely different on that. You, of course, uh, Finley, are going to be. Um, I, I suppose we can announce it now because you will be uh, you will be joining us on the four Podmen as part of the Dynamo Podcast Network as well, which will drop um, shortly after this releases. And um, yes, indeed, I will, and you will be able to see me as well. We will yes. be videoing that one. Won't just be audio. Flowing locks and everything. He will be in his smoking jacket in his uh, mansion sitting by the fire with a glass of the finest um, Scotch whiskey. Find a champagne. I'll find have a you. champagne. Okay, a little find bit of the bubbly champagne. you're going for, is it? That's it, yeah. Stocked up this week in all seriousness. Wearing your AEW t-shirt, I'd imagine. As well. Oh, I'll be wearing my Young Bucks merchandise. Oh, yes. <laughs> Please I've got all, every item of merchandise they've ever produced. I've got it. Well, In fact, go. I've got two copies of it because one day, one day they might be worth even more than they are now. There you go. There you go. But um, I suppose that's been um, it's it's been great. Do you want it, before we leave? Um, we'd be remiss if there's anything you want to kind of plug there. Obviously, you've got the magazine coming out. You've got shows on Inside the Rope. So. Just that, I mean, yeah, Inside the Ropes magazine, please check out the Inside the Ropes uh, website as well. Uh, I do um, two podcasts, well, I do one podcast and I do one uh, podcast that's videoed each week. So you can check those out, they're all available through the Inside the Ropes website. Obviously, Inside the Ropes magazine will be out later this month with the Jim Connor interview. So I hope people will check that out. Again, go to the Inside the Ropes website for all the information about that. Yeah, and of course, when this drops, you'll be able to... Uh, I'll put all the links, obviously, in the description. And uh, yeah, 100% guys, support it because it's really cool to have... If you're like me and you're old school and you're nostalgic um, and you want to go back to that day where there could be a, a Finn Balor in the waiting for all you kids out there <laughs> that uh, shares the same magazine shop as you, you know, and you could be the future of wrestling. So I do implore each and every one of you young guys and girls to go out and... Um, get the physical product in your hand. You know what I mean? You can Google anything these days, but it's nice to start building a collection somewhere. Sure. So absolutely. Definitely absolutely. implore people. But, uh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm hoping one day, I haven't interviewed Fergal since 2014. I'm hoping that one day I will be able to interview him for Inside the Ropes magazine. There you go. There you go. And you just make sure you call me when that's happening because I want a piece of that pie too. Although I'm okay. sure when he's back in Bray at some point, I can ask him to do that. But still, I just, you know, don't forget me when you when you get all big and famous again, Finley, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Won't. <laughs> Listen, it's been a pleasure once again, as always, Finley. So um Yeah, yeah, always... thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun talking about different things here. And yep. uh and yeah, I'm looking forward to my next appearance. Um uh, when you'll see me uh, you know, with my Palace Slam podcast backdrop in the Abs background. Absolutely, my brother. I love it. Until next week, that is all for Dynamo's Dozen. We are over and out.